the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Lots of differences in politics in the city of Detroit these days, thanks to a pretty radical shift from the recent redistricting. We're going to talk about what's coming as we approach the August 2nd primary elections with Sheila Cockrell, who's CEO of Citizen Detroit. Then we're going to hear from the staff at Bridge Detroit about a citywide forum to discuss the challenges that Detroiters face in their neighborhoods and communities. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm really glad you decided to join us today. What's driving you to the polls this fall? What are the things that you really care about? The things that you think those of us who represent us in Southeast Michigan, in Lansing, or in Washington can do to make life better? Local government is where I think we have maybe the highest expectations of those we cast our ballots for. They're closest to us. They make really important decisions about our daily lives, more so than the people in Lansing or in Washington. And it's more likely that we'll come into contact with those people uh, when, we, when we just start going about our lives. It means that state and local officials are the ones who really have the most potential to improve the things that we are most focused on in our everyday lives. That's going to look really different going forward here in Southeast Michigan because of the redistricting that we just endured. After the 2020 census, we decided that citizens, ordinary citizens, would draw the political boundaries for the state legislature and for Congress after decades and decades of politicians getting to do that all on their own. What this group of citizens came up with is at once really interesting and in some ways kind of controversial. It looks really different than the political boundaries that we have lived with for a long time and a lot of people are concerned about well this will mean different representation it means maybe i live in a different district than i used to maybe somebody who's represented me for a long time is no longer going to represent me these are all the things that are i think swirling in our minds or should be as we get closer to the august 2nd primary elections when we'll make some really important decisions about who will go to lansing and who will go to Washington. So what's driving you to the polls? Sheila Cockrell has been talking with a hundred candidates in Southeast Michigan about what they are proposing to get you to come out to vote for them. Sheila is a political consultant and former Detroit City Council person 
who currently runs Citizen Detroit, where she tries to promote more active citizen engagement. And we've invited her back onto the program to talk with us about the interviews that she's been conducting, what she's learned, and how she thinks these new political maps, these new political boundaries, are going to affect Detroiters and Michiganders in the upcoming elections. Sheila, welcome back to Detroit Today. Stephen, it's great to be with you. Uh, you, you always have such insightful, contextual analysis for uh, <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and also with us is Greg Bowens, who is a longtime political consultant here in southeast Michigan, who's been paying pretty close attention to not only the redistricting, but also the races that are unfolding in these new districts. Greg, welcome back to the show as well. Hey, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here, too. Okay, so, uh, Sheila, I first want to talk about uh, this effort that you've been making, not just to interview the, the candidates, but to give them an opportunity to speak directly to voters. You videotape them talking about who they are and what their ideas are. Uh, what what drives you to do this and, and give us a sense of how this process actually works? Sure. Thank you, Stephen, and good morning, Greg. It's good to uh, share the uh, airways with you as well. Um, Citizen Detroit has, going back to 2017, uh, had a, we've had a, a place, informdetroit.org, which is a website where people can go to listen, to hear candidates in their own voices. One of the things I learned in 16 years on city council is that people want factual, trustworthy information. Uh, people will make their own informed decisions, but decisions have to be informed by facts and that there's a, a great uh, interest in factual information and in hearing people in their own voices. So we, we did not do videos with 100 folks. We invited the 100 candidates who are, uh, you know, who were certified to be on the ballot uh, by the, uh, the, the clerks um, <clears throat> to do a video. 53 of the candidates actually uh, did videos. And so what we have done is on our website done two or three things, which I can talk about a little bit in the course of this uh, conversation. Uh, one, we put up a tool from the uh, League of Women Voters called Vote 411, where if you put in your address, you can determine what district you're in because everybody's in a new district. You may, people may have received a voter registration card. You need to look at it because your district numbers are going to be different than they've been in the past for the state legislature, uh, both House and Senate. Um, there, we've, so we have that tool there. So the first thing you can do is find out what district you're in uh, and then that you can go and watch the videos for your district. Uh, and then um, if you wish to, which we think is a really important tool, we're encouraging people. We have a link to uh, the Secretary of State's online application for an absentee ballot. Um, we feel in, in terms of the sort of whole um, reality here nationally, uh, as well as in the state of efforts at voter suppression, that providing people with the option to vote absentee uh, is a really important important chance for people to make sure their voice is heard and they're not in any situation where there's any efforts at intimidation. So that's the kind of that's the framework. Citizen Detroit, you know, has a history of providing people with uh, factual information on public policy issues that impact residents of, of Detroit. Um, what we do know in this with this redistricting 
is that we're in a whole new world. Uh, we've had mixed, you know, city and suburban districts for a number of years that have worked very well. Uh, we now have a situation where the city of Detroit does not have a standalone district in either the House or the Senate. Mm. The city of Detroit is now, and I, I call them slices, is divided up into eight slices in the state Senate and 15 slices in the state house. What this does do now is create a fascinating opportunity for regional conversation, regional dialogue, uh, and the identification of shared issues across uh, regional boundaries because somewhere north of slices of 30 suburban communities are now in a district with slices of Detroit. So it's a chance to really um, Sort of have a, have another fo- have a forum another forum for uh, the kind of regional dialogue that can um, potentially over time break through the history of residential racial segregation that's characterized southeastern Michigan for mm. generations. Yeah. So so you describe it as an opportunity, and uh, I, I think that's a really um, I mean that's a really optimistic way to see what they're what they're doing. There are a lot of people who are who are kind of concerned about that though because that's a real change for Detroiters. Uh, Greg, I want to bring you into the conversation here and and have you talk about what you think of the way that uh, that the citizen panel decided to to draw the political boundaries here in Southeast Michigan. Is this is this an opportunity for us to think more regionally, to think about community in a way that crosses Eight Mile or Alter or Telegraph? Yes, I, I do think that way, Stephen. And I think that uh, Sheila Cockrell, so good to hear your voice, is absolutely right on that score in that uh, the kind of challenges that we have faced over the years have demonstrated pretty clearly that uh, our challenges don't respect geographical boundaries. The flooding, for example, that had occurred had impacted Detroit and so many other communities. And our solutions to solving these complex problems uh, rely on our ability to work together to do that. And the the days of uh, L. Brooks Patterson, you know, type politics where it's only about you know my backyard and nobody else's are pretty much gone. Now, when the redistricting happened, one of the things that did give me pause though was this idea that we did not, as a community, as a political establishment, embrace embrace uh, all of the communities that can be represented, and I mean black and brown communities. And so we are faced with this untenable situation where, in order for other communities of colors to rise we are seeing may lose representation as a result. And so I was disappointed in, in, in that we didn't have discussions openly and honestly about the need to have Asian communities represented as they are represented in Oakland County and, and, and in, that, in that part, the need to have our Middle Eastern communities fairly represented. And being able to do this does not diminish the... Uh, the vote for African-Americans or representation for African-Americans. So I agree with Sheila Cockrell that that we do have a great opportunity here, but there is another caveat uh, that is very clear that we really need to have some serious discussions about race uh, going forward in trying to do this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sheila, I want to give you a chance to to react to that. I know that's a concern that you've had uh, as well. 
Yes, I mean, but when I say this is an opportunity, you know, what I'm being polite about saying is this is a, a opportunity to really confront the the basis of division in southeastern Michigan, which has has been race forever, because we're going to be in a situation where a piece of you know a a city of Southfield and the city of Detroit are going to share the same representative, or a a a piece of Auburn Hills is going to be representing, uh, is going to be in the same district as a piece of Detroit. And there, for example, in terms of putting this in stark relief, we know that there's been efforts on the part of Auburn Hills leadership to get out of SMART. We know that in Detroit, there's every effort being made all the time to create regional transportation. Whoever that representative is, is going to have to figure out how to represent what could be very divergent interests. Mm -hmm. Many of those interests are rooted, in my view, historically um, in issues and matters of race. So it is, it's an opportunity. When I say it's an opportunity for regional dialogue, it's an opportunity to confront the underlying division hmm. that has shaped southeastern Michigan politics for generations. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely want to get to some specific uh, races and, and get both of your takes on the things that you are finding most interesting as we get closer to, to August 2nd. But first, uh, I want to invite our listeners to participate in the in the conversation. If you want to talk about what's going on in Detroit and in the close-in suburbs, uh, uh, we are talking about politics today and how they look different in our community because of the redistricting, how they will be different going forward uh, once uh, we elect representatives and, and they represent uh, parts of the city of Detroit as well as parts uh, of the suburbs, a, a real shift in the way that lines get drawn uh, here in Southeast Michigan. Give us a call. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation uh, that way. Greg, I'm going to start with you because I know that uh, we've got to let you go at about 930. Um, give me a sense of the races that, in your mind, uh, kind of define this shift that we're seeing in the way that Detroit will be represented and and the candidates who have uh, who have your attention in the way that they're trying to, I guess, lean into uh, this this new dynamic. Well, there are two races, certainly uh, for Congress in the 13th and in the 12th. Uh, in the 12th, you have uh, received to leave Chanel Jackson and uh, Kathy Garrett, I mean, Kelly Garrett, who are running, you know, for that open seat and Rashida Tlaib is, you know, is, is the, is the beast, man. I mean, she has been strong. She's a strong campaigner. And the interesting thing about this is, is that, you know, Rashida would be the first to say, well, I'm not black. I've been raised in black neighborhoods. I have black mothers and sisters, you know, who taught me the value of righteousness when it comes to fighting for civil rights, social justice, and the black perspective. At the same time, uh, you've got folks who say, well, I, I get that. I get that. They're, they're, uh, having representation looks We are getting a little bit of interference there with Greg. We're going to try to uh, get that uh, all sort of stabilized there so that we can 
continue to hear what what he was getting at there, which I think was a really important point when we think about politics here. But uh, uh, Sheila Cockrell, um, let's uh, let, let let's pick have you pick up where where he was uh, leaving off there. He was talking about Congress. We do have two congressional districts that uh, represent the city of Detroit. Uh, what interests you about those races? Well, I think, first of all, we should also add that in the 13th, we uh, or the 12th now, we have uh, Janice Winfrey is also on that, uh, is in that primary. Um, I, I think what, what's part of what we can see with the, with the, the two congressional races is um, one of the impacts of having many, many um, people um, running in a, in a primary, because, I mean, in the, in the, in the, uh, the new 13th, we, there's a, num- a ton of Detroit uh, candidates, many people who have name recognition. Um, and and my, one of my concerns is that the way the race could easily play out is Sri Tanadar, who's the state legislator right now, mm-hmm. who rep- in the state legislature, legislature only represents Detroit, um, is going to have an advantage because the other candidates are going to potentially split up the vote because people have their own um, their own constituencies who are going to support them no matter what. So I think this sort of reflects the situation where um, there's not a sort of a political consensus that drives what individual politicians uh, decide to do, um, and that's that's the all-American way. Of course, anybody can run for any office they want to, but for consolidation of uh, of power, um, it's it, it makes it a a much more challenging situation. I think. Yeah. Um, so so we have a situation where potentially the city of Detroit will not could could have. I'm saying it will have, but the the threat is that the possibility is out here that there will be no black person representing the city of Detroit in the United States Congress. Yeah. I think that's 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 a real concern. So, um, you know, I think it's um, it, those are interesting races to follow. But I do I want to focus at some point, uh, Stephen, more on the state legislative races because mm-hmm. I really do believe that. Um, that's as important, if you will. What happens in Lansing is as important for Detroiters as what happens in Washington. Uh, and I think one of the, the most important things to understand about the redistricting is that each of the districts in the state legislature are now approximately 40 percent African-American. Um, the, 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 the board, the uh, commission, took registered voters and were made a, I think, careful and thought, thoughtful consideration about creating um, districts where there was an opportunity for uh, African American um, people to run for office and African Americans who live in suburbs to have their voices heard. The issue is that these races are mainly decided in in the historically era, decided in the primary. And if you look at turnout in Detroit of primary voters, um, uh, people who vote in primaries, it is a significant drop-off from other uh, other cities, other communities. Uh, and I and so my concern is that um, there are going to be challenges in, over time, for sure, to uh, the ability of a Detroiter to get through a primary unless we work really hard and increase and improve significantly the uh, turnout 
by Detroit voters in primary elections. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I do want to get back to that that question of the state legislature and the way that those uh, districts were drawn. Uh, but but we do have Greg uh, back on a more stable connection here. And I want to get, before we have to let him go, uh, I want to let him finish what he was saying. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah. So, no, I, I, the, the congressional thing and the, and the state thing, I think, are all related in, in this situation about uh-huh. black representation. I don't want to sound like a broken record here uh, as it relates to that. When it comes to representation, I, I think it's also important to remember the historic migration patterns that have occurred. And so while the idea that it's, you know, 40 percent black district, those 40 percent have been are scattered out throughout these uh, these districts. And still, still, even when we have an all black Detroit district, for example, we have we are represented by uh, non-black folks. So I, I, I guess that. I guess that you know what's happening is, is that we are struggling. I think as a region in trying to balance the need for representation and fairness. You know, mm-hmm. I, there's, there's, there, there. It's, it's, there's, it's nuanced here. I get that. At the same time, it's plain and simple. I need to have people who look like me who, who represent me somewhere in this mix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Greg Bowens, uh, it's always really great to have you uh, here on the program. And I know you pay really close attention to this stuff and always have really great insight. So I, I really do appreciate uh, you coming to be with us on the show today. And I know you had to run, but I really appreciate the time. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you folks. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. and we come back, we are going to continue talking with Sheila Cockerell, uh, CEO of Citizen Detroit, about what's going on in Detroit as we get closer to the August 2nd uh, primaries. We'll also start to get to you guys on the phones and on social media. Frank and Livonia, Edit in Detroit, Chris in Detroit. Uh, you'll be up first if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter. Put comments there, and we can include you in the show that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Sheila Cockrell, CEO of Citizen Detroit Political Consultant, former Detroit City Council person. And we're talking about politics in Detroit as we get closer to the August 2nd primaries. A really different look of the map this time. The political boundaries are quite different than they were the last time we went to the polls to elect people in the state legislature or in Congress. And that's because we have a different process. Citizens now draw the lines, the political boundaries for the legislature 
and for the U.S. Congress, uh, and they had a different take on the way that uh, we should be represented. Uh, they drew districts that didn't respect uh, municipal lines quite as much as before and uh, leaned into the idea of regional representation, that uh, people in Detroit and uh, people in suburbs like Royal Oak or Southfield or Royal Oak Township or Gross Point should share representation uh, in places as opposed to having uh, representation that just represents uh, their their particular communities. Uh, what do you think of that? What do you think of that approach? And what do you think it will yield in terms of the uh, type of folks who will end up uh, representing us in those seats? Uh, we want to hear from you during the conversation. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Sheila, before we get to listeners, I do want to I want to talk about a specific race just to give listeners uh, a, a greater illustration of some of the tensions that exist. And and if we look at the state legislature and uh, uh, state senate district number eight, uh, I think it, it kind of captures this idea of. Detroit and the suburbs, but it, it it gives people in that district a really stark choice in terms of who will represent uh, that area. Will it be someone from the suburbs or will it be some, someone from the city? Uh, that district pits uh, State Senator Mallory McMorrow uh, against uh, State Senator Marshall Bullock. Uh, he's from the city. She's from the suburbs. He's African-American. She's white. Uh, this is what we are kind of facing in a lot of different places uh, now in, in southeast Michigan. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And you have two legislators who, you know, who, whose who's political agendas, they're not, you know, lockstep, but they're generally in the same framework. I mean, they're, um, they're both members of the, of the Democratic Party and are both very, have been very active um, in, um, in the, in, you know, in, in the caucus, the, the House caucus, I mean, the Senate caucus. It is a stark, um, it's a stark, difference in the sense of city, suburb, black, white, male, female. It sort of mm-hmm. captures all of the all of the elements. <laughs> um, and in one sense, one could say people in this new district have the on the Democratic side the opportunity to uh, you know pick from two really good people. Um, and there there is a Republican running um, who's also uh, a Detroiter. Um, a Brandon Ronald Simpson uh, is the Republican candidate. So it'll be interesting to see what the dynamic is after the primary, uh, depending on who wins. For example, if McMorrow were to win the primary, um, then we would have a white suburban woman running against a uh, black Detroit man uh, in the in the runoff. That would be you know, that that would be a very interesting dynamic to see how it plays out in the November uh, general election. The, the biggest message that has to be gotten out here to people is the primaries really matter. And for whatever your interests are, city or suburban, uh, your voting in the primaries is going to take on greater weight because that's when the party, you know, standard bearer is going to get uh, selected. And your choices then, 
depending on what party you're in, are going to be determined um, by an election that happens in August as opposed to November. So it, it, it is a, it's a really interesting um, change. I mean, I keep saying there's seven, there's 10 or 11 PhDs that are going to be able to get uh, written based on this redistricting and what it's going to mean <laughs> the next four, yeah. eight, six, you know, 10 years. Yeah, what it's going to look like. Uh, Rochelle on Twitter says it's important that those running for office have a strategy that they can talk about when it comes to balancing the needs of a variety of communities. What is their approach? What steps will they take to partner with communities of varying people? I think that's a really uh, uh, insightful observation there. Uh, let's and, go. Yeah, go ahead, Sheila. No, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And it's going by listening to some of the candidates who did do videos, it's like some, some folks. We all have to have a different mindset. I mean, we cannot, we're all in a, in Southeastern Michigan, say we all, but many, many people in Southeastern Michigan have a reflex position of us versus them, whether it's city suburb, black, white, uh, you, you know, you, you pick, you take your choice, but that, that, this approach, we're going to have to all unlearn that and begin to think more uh, collaboratively. And I think, the callers or the person's point of view is absolutely on point. We're going to have to think differently and consider the needs and interests uh, across some of these uh, these geographic boundaries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Chris in Detroit. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, we lost Chris there. Chris, give us a call back. Uh, we'll get you on the air. Uh, let's instead go to Ed in Detroit. Ed, what's on your mind? This is an absolutely wonderful conversation. I uh, I remember when the Detroit delegation in the state house, so in the state legislature, was a huge delegation. Of course, the city had almost two million people, and there were anywhere from four to a half a dozen congressional districts wholly within the city of Detroit. And I recall thinking, talking with some members of the legislature in the 80s, we're mulling over, now what's going to happen in the future? And it occurred to me that one day we're going to have a congressional district that runs from Detroit into Macomb County on the east side, and one on the west side that runs into Oakland County. Now, things didn't work out that way in reality. But it, but as both of your guests have pointed out, and, and it, is, it is going to require such a huge change in the way we have historically thought about representation and elections in this region that I think Ms. Cockrell is absolutely right. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of PhD dissertation. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of reason to study this stuff. Regenerated out so, of Detroit. Yeah, I, I hope I'm around to read some of them. <laughs> right, uh, Ed, I really appreciate the call and that and that insight. That that, that question of um, the difference, for instance, between a district for that that might stretch across Eight Mile uh, on the west side of Detroit into Oakland County and one that might stretch across Eight Mile uh, on the eastern side of the city into Macomb. Th th those would be very, very different kinds of uh, different districts. They would produce a lot of different dynamics, uh, Sheila. We don't see that in Congress, but we are starting to see more of that in the, the legislative maps. 
Yes, and we're going to see a ton more of it with this redistricting. I mean, this this blows up county boundaries. I mean, Detroit is in, there's one district that has the city of Detroit, pieces of communities in Oakland, Maco- Oakland Macomb, and Western Wayne County. That's yeah. going to be one district. I mean, uh, so, I mean, the, the, the impact on even county government uh, and the role of, of counties is going to be impacted by this because representatives are going to um, be juggling the interests of, in some cases, very diverse communities. I mean, we literally do have one district that runs from Auburn Hills, um, pieces of Auburn Hills, all the way, all the way down to through to Detroit. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a very interesting challenge. The other thing we should know right off the top is that there are three Senate districts and three House districts where Detroit will for sure be represented by a suburban person because no Detroiters either read, uh, filed to run or uh, were not disqualified. So we know for sure three House and three Senate are going to have a suburban representation. But, you know, it's going to be a change. We stop to think about the Detroit delegation may have a significant population of suburban members. Yeah, that, yeah. That's just mind-boggling shift the detroit delegation is going to have members of many of different suburban communities in there which is as again this is why this is an opportunity it's a challenging opportunity but is it it is the the first sort of rooted in day-to-day reality opportunity to uh, to address and to confront and to you know work through the basic division that's been the city suburb divide certainly my entire life yeah yeah. Uh, again, thanks for the call, uh, Ed. Let's quickly go to Frank in Livonia. Frank, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning. Um, you know, I, I worked really hard on that proposal, too, to get that uh, passed. And I really think it's a wonderful opportunity. And I have to say, as Ms. Cockrell says, is if, if uh, African-Americans can realize their voting power, especially in the primaries, uh, you know, any of these districts that are suburban Detroit, uh, they're going to have that po- successful politician is going to have to make a message that uh, uh, appeals to African Americans, you know, uh, you know, either in Detroit or in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And you know, I look at things that you know, like at what's happened in Georgia. I mean, I think that that is like a tremendous thing that's happened down mm-hmm. there, where African Americans have realized their kingmaker status. Yep. Uh, and also, uh, and look at. When we, uh, I shouldn't say we, I've, I've never been a resident of the city of Detroit, but it, it has a big influence on everything around here. Uh, when the city went from uh, at-large voting for city council to districts, uh, you know, that's kind of a little, uh, uh, a little miniature thing of what's going on uh, statewide now. Yeah. Uh, Frank, I uh, really appreciate uh the call in the comments. And I, I want to say something really specific about your comparison to what's going on in in Georgia. The the key there is very simple. Register and vote. Uh, Stacey Abrams has figured out a way to get African-American voters to register in numbers that they hadn't before. And she's figured out how to get them to show up. Uh, and, and of course, when that happens, the, the, the outcomes reflect it and and the number of african-american votes that are out there uh, really can can make things happen we still have that challenge here uh sheila not just uh, in the city of detroit but 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 into the into these suburban districts as well if people register and vote they can have right. a, more of a say absolutely and i think 
again, re, re, um, refining this um, notion of voting in primaries is really important. Yes. Uh, really important that people vote in primaries uh, and that the that that we're going to begin we'll begin to see it on august 2nd what that means um but that is really essential and, and we have a culture that says the primaries don't matter it's just the november election actually we only really think we're taught that the presidential elections are what's important and these other elections are called off-year elections there's nothing off about any of these elections every single election is critical because the people who are going to represent your interests are going to be selected, and it's going to matter. I mean, if there's, if there's a candidate, the person that wins is going to look at who voted in the primary, who voted in the general. And, and if you've got a, you know, a community that was a high turnout community that has one position on an issue and, you're, you're, and you have another city community that where there was a low participation, what's that politician going to do? Why, are, why is that person going to say, well, I'm going to vote with Detroit if there's a low turnout in Detroit? versus um, right. Auburn Hills, if there's a high turnout in Auburn Hills around this issue of, uh, of regional transportation. It yeah. matters. People have got to show up at these polls, and that's why we're really encouraging people to use the absentee uh, ballot tool that the state, uh, Secretary of State's office has put together. It, it, it takes less than two minutes. You can do it on your phone, uh, and you can get a ballot. It works. Sent yeah. to your home. You fill it out and you mail it back in, and you, you then for sure your voice is going to be heard. Right. Can't say it enough. Vote, vote, vote. That's right. Get out there and vote. Okay. Uh, Sheila Cockrell, CEO of Citizen Detroit, former Detroit City Council person. Always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Have a great day. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with members of the media outlet Bridge Detroit about a public forum that they're having tonight on Belle Isle to engage city residents. This is the culmination of a series of public forums around the city to really talk to Detroiters one-on-one -on -one about the challenges that they have in their neighborhoods and communities. Stay where you are. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. As you heard today, we at Detroit Today are really committed to not only informing you about the upcoming elections, but also giving you a chance to voice your concerns about our region ahead of those elections. And while voting is a really crucial way to make your voice heard, community action also plays an important role in making sure that elected representatives know what's important to you. And speaking of what's important to you, uh, I want to talk a little about what Bridge Detroit has been up to lately. Bridge Detroit is a nonprofit news and engagement organization that seeks to identify and highlight 
the issues that Detroiters themselves say are important to them. And tomorrow, Bridge Detroit is going to help host a free town hall event on Belle Isle to give Detroiters the chance to express what they need from city government and how we want city tax dollars spent. Uh, I am the founding editor of Bridge Detroit and serve as executive editor for that organization. And I'm really pleased to welcome two of my colleagues to the program to talk more about this event. Orlando Bailey is the engagement director for Bridge Detroit, also co-host of the Authentically Detroit podcast. Orlando, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Stephen. And it's tonight. It's tonight. tonight. It is tonight, yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, also with us is Catherine Kelly. She is Managing Director of Bridge Detroit. Catherine, welcome to the show. Good morning, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, let's start. Tell us about this event. Uh, what time is it? Where is it? And what can people who show up expect uh, to find at, at, this, uh, at this forum? Orlando, I'll start with you. Yeah, sure. So uh, the Tellus Detroit Town Hall is this evening. Everybody is this evening at six o'clock on Belle Isle, our beautiful island here in the city of Detroit. And shelter number eight, we'll be in shelter number eight, free food. um, And what we are aiming to do and what we have been doing all summer long, it's been a grueling schedule, is going to every city council district to have conversations with residents around how they are experiencing their neighborhood, their city the the triumphs that they are experiencing, the challenges uh, that they are having in regards to uh, barriers that keep their neighborhoods, that may keep their neighborhoods from thriving. You know, how are their utility services and how is the communication going with the city? Uh, I really want to highlight that the impetus for us to start these town halls was how the American Rescue Plan Act dollars were allocated by the municipality here in the city of Detroit and to hear from Detroiters on how they felt about those allocations, among other things. And so, yeah. so far, we've had six uh, town halls. Tonight will be our seventh. We've heard so much, and we want to hear even more. Yeah. Uh, Catherine, talk about some of the things that are on people's minds and that they're saying at uh, at these town halls. These, these six others were in uh, districts around uh, the, the, the city, inside of uh, city council districts. Uh, what did what did we hear from Detroiters? Um, we're hearing, I mean, you know, one of our goals is to be a responsive newsroom. So taking this time to build authentic relationships in the community is so important to us. Um, some of the things um, we did know, but we're getting a little more like detail and nuance on. So that's, you know, the issues are Detroiters are overburdened by their utility costs. Um, uh, they're frustrated by broadband or lack of broadband access or options. Um, public transportation continues to be a real challenge in the city of Detroit, um, as as well as auto insurance. So, you know, one of the, I think, um, another focus of what we're talking with Detroiters about is community engagement. You know, so many people say that, um, uh, they represent Detroiters or they understand Detroit. But, you know, one of our focuses is, you know, how how do we build a how do we build relationships in Detroit? How do you want city government to talk with you? You know, a lot of times, you know, 
city government sends emails or they say go to the website, is that is that the best way? And we're finding that Detroiters are really wanting to be in person, to talk, to, to gather in their community and community spaces. We partnered with um, community houses throughout the city to make sure we're meeting uh, Detroit on, on its own terms. And we're talking with residents in intimate and community settings. Yeah. Yeah. So Orlando, uh, talk about what we do with this information once we get it at Bridge Detroit. What's the what's the purpose uh, of of collecting information this way, and and how does it help with uh, with the mission? I I really appreciate that question, Stephen. Well, the mission, as you stated, you know, in your opening, is for us to tailor the journalism to provide answers, accountability, solutions, and ask questions based upon the priorities that Detroiters themselves identify. This, it, we, with, these, with this town hall series, we are endeavoring, number one, to do just that, to gather uh, the data, to ask questions, gather that data, and present it to the newsroom and say, hey, this is what we're hearing. These are, are going to be our journalistic priorities. And so we are trying really hard not to be a newsroom that sort of gatekeeps sit in our ivory tower and decide what's news. We're letting Detroiters drive that. As far as the data is concerned, in the spirit of transparency, all of the data that we've been gathering from each city council district's uh, each city council district from residents will be published in a in a public report um, after the town hall series is complete. So we have the town hall the the all city town hall tonight at Belle Isle, but we have we had to reschedule District Three because it rained because we've been outside, <laughs> and so the last last one is July nineteenth at the shed at March Park, and when we conclude. On July 19th, we're going to get together, disaggregate this data, and present it to the public to say, hey, here's what uh, you said. Did we get it right? What did we get wrong? And let's keep talking. Yeah. Uh, Catherine, the, the idea of doing this in different districts um, and and kind of having the same conversation with people in different districts, I think, is really key, partially because, uh, you know, the city's a big place. And... Um, uh, you know what what matters at uh, Joy Road and 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 the west side of the city, or what matters over uh, on Mac and and uh, Connor. Uh, it, it can be really different. Uh, talk about the, the the things that have surfaced at these forums that that tell you about the I guess the richness of of that experience in Detroit and how it just doesn't look the same for everybody. Sure, um, Detroiters are really passionate about their neighborhoods, their communities. Uh, our last um, town hall in, in Northwest Detroit, I mean, we had a really robust turnout and, you know, people talked about, I think one of the things that's actually united the town halls is how many residents talk about what what they do every day on their own to make their community better mm. and how they look out for one another and um, and how they build these uh, organizations and like close-knit groups to to support whether it's uh, cleaning up the block or the alley behind their house. Um, I, I think that's been one thing that's really 
I don't think Detroiters get enough like respect or recognition for what they do on their own to improve their community. And I think, you know, when you think about all the changes in the city and this kind of feeling of displacement a lot of Detroiters have is, is um, you know, residents wanting to be recognized for the investment that they've made uh, in their neighborhoods. Um, and I think yeah, go ahead, Lord. I'm sorry, Stephen. No, I think I think that's key, and I think it's key that they the residents had uh, a platform uh, to be able to do that, especially with a media organization. One of the questions that we ask is, has you know media reached out to say, hey, we want to talk to you and hear from you about what you are experiencing. And this is a new experience for residents talking to a newsroom in this in this sort of way. And each after each town hall, we publish we publish a story about what went on, and residents are beginning to see, and this is great, uh, see themselves reflected in the narrative around the city, and to see and get that acknowledgement that they were the ones that kept everything going when the city was devoid of any kind of service uh services and capacity yeah yeah i want to quickly talk a little about the arpa funding which of course bridge detroit is tracking pretty closely uh and and how it's been spent that's come up i know at uh at each of these uh at each of these town halls Catherine, what are we what are we learning about this 800 million dollars that everyone says has such power to transform uh, our experience in Detroit. Uh, what are Detroiters saying about how they're feeling that? Sure, I mean, as you stated, I mean, this is a, a huge um, uh, amount of federal aid. And uh, one thing that's been kind of surprising for us is for the most part, a lot of residents really didn't know um, how it was planned and didn't feel like they had much input in, in those plans. Uh, there's also, you know, um, there's also this kind of question of when you kind of lay out the buckets of, um, you know, where the city is going to make their investments, whether it's in, uh, you know, in commercial blight or, or beautification. Uh, Detroiters have, you know, kind of come back and said home repair and housing continues to be a real issue. Mm-hmm. Um, council, I know, is, is Malachi Barrett for our team has been kind of reporting on it, but council is kind of working to reallocate some of these bu- buckets because the last city council decided uh, the plan for the ARPA dollars. So I think, I don't, I think Detroiters didn't really know um, and didn't know how to get more involved in terms of helping to determine how this epic amount of federal aid would be spent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Bridge Detroit, uh, All City Forum. Orlando, tonight, <laughs> not tomorrow, it's tonight. Uh, tell, it's tonight. Tell, tell listeners where they, can, uh, where they can join. Yes, join us uh, tonight at 6 o'clock at Belle Isle on the beautiful island. And shelter number eight will be there, free food and drink. Come and be in conversation and hold space with us. All right. Uh, Catherine Kelly and Orlando Bailey, uh, always great to talk with both of you. Thanks for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we are going to talk with journalist and author Bill McKibben about his new book, about his childhood hometown and the stories he was never taught while growing up. 
This is 101.9 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.